You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We've been talking about what is a great church. So here we are. It's on the screen. And there are four different subjects that we're talking about. Uh, Great power, great grace, and then next week is great joy, and then there's this week. Now, I'm holding back just for a moment because, you know, it's been fun. I've enjoyed preaching on great power. We see in Scripture clearly in the book of Acts that the the early church had this power. They, They knew the power source was God himself. And so they plugged into the power of prayer. They plugged into the power of passion. They plugged into the power of preaching. These guys didn't have much of an education, diplomas, theological schools. But they had been with Jesus. They knew God. And they they preached with that power of the Holy Spirit. They had great grace. Two weeks ago we talked about that great grace is a saving grace. We are converted by the grace of God. It is a sustaining grace. We are commended in the grace of God. It is a sticking grace. We are continuing in the grace of God. These are things that the grace of God does for us. It's an amazing subject. It's an awe-inspiring thought to be loved by God, to love others with the grace of God. It's just incredible. Next week, it's going to be great joy. I can't wait. If you know anything about me and joy, I kind of live in that moment. I mean, I'm just one of these guys that believes Nehemiah 8.10 is true. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so if I have any strength today, it's because of the, the, the power of God, the grace of God, but it's also because I'm just quite joyful. I mean, I just always see the glasses, uh, you know, half full and not half empty. You ever been around somebody who thinks it's always half empty? I'm one of those half full guys. I just, I love what joy does in my heart and how it is accentuated by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that next week. But this Sunday, a tougher subject. We've been talking about the 10th core value at Gospel Light. If you're not familiar with our core values, you can get all of them at the information desk on the way out. We've been talking about them all year with our next level theme. This month, it's the letter H in the word light. It's an acrostic, Gospel Light. The letter H stands for the word hope. And the statement we've been making here as our core value is this. Hope is what we offer to the world as a church. And I think you would agree with me that this world needs hope. You know, if you look on the news, in fact, I'll tell you, there's two ways to get the news. Two ways you can find out, two two ways to, to, to process news. First of all, you can look at the nightly news or the daily news, or like I do, maybe for a few minutes in the evening, just check out my little news source uh, is a quick look at Fox News. Get on there, find out, okay, have we got a house speaker yet? Oh, that's dismal. Have we got, you know, what's going on in the Middle East? Man, that's, that's incredible. We got all these ships pulling into the, to the oceans there from America. Looks like maybe there's going to be some involvement. I mean, it's, it's a lot of tension. And when you watch the evening news and you base... What you, what you look at the world as based on that, it's a lot of fear. It's a lot of phobia, a lot of uncertainty, right? I mean, what's going to happen? What's going on? Or you can get your news from watching a biography or the history channel. If you get your news that way, it's kind of cool because you kind of go back in time. You watch this event. 
you already know the end. If you watch a World War II bi- uh, biography or if you go to the History Channel and watch something's already happened, you know the ending. You, you know what's happened. Not a lot of fear in that, not a lot of phobia in that, not a lot of uncertainty in watching the History Channel. Well, listen, God doesn't watch the nightly news. God watches the History Channel. God's not limited by time. God lives in time, but he's not limited by time. And God already knows what's going to happen. God looks at this world and he sees what's going to happen. And the hope that we have is that Jesus Christ, like he he established in Genesis chapter 1, a perfect world. I want you to know, hey, that's coming back soon, folks. When Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, hey, we're going back to God's original intent for the world. And you say, preacher, how do you know that? My Bible. And I've got hope in God. Hope in God. This is what we offer to the world as a church. This is why today, when there's so much unrest and uncertainty in the world, a pastor can get up and preach with confidence that God reigns above it all. And he's coming again. And we can know that. We need to follow the great attributes of the early church. Great power, great grace, great fear, and great joy. Today I'm speaking about a great church has great fear of the Lord. To to many it may seem unusual to say that fear was what made the church great. Because normally the way that we process fear is in a negative way. Would you not agree? I mean, for the most part, when you say the word fear, it's not a positive thing. Our mental picture of of, of what the word fear is, is not very good. We are we, we, we see fear, we view fear as a bad thing, not a good thing. Now, l- let me say this. I'm not talking this morning about uh, uh, the, the unhealthy e- emotional or healthy or unhealthy emotional fear. Meaning this, that for instance, there is a healthy fear uh, in my emotions that protects me. It delivers me sometimes from harming myself. For instance, I'm thankful today for the healthy fear that I have of putting my hand in a fire and burning my hand. Amen. I have a healthy fear of walking out into the middle of the street and getting run over by a car. So guess what I do? I I actually look both ways. And I help my children to look both ways. And my grandchildren. Yesterday, I I haven't been able to do it with my dog because yesterday somebody knocked on my door and said, Hey, is this your little fluffy, furry dog out in the middle of the road? We just almost killed it. I said, yeah, no fear of the Lord. I'm sorry. You know, no no, no fear of the street. Just just run right in the middle of the street. But, But there is a healthy emotional fear, but we're not talking about that this morning. An unhealthy emotion of fear is a spirit of fear. And that can bring about anxiety and and that can bring about phobias in someone's life. But fearing the Lord does not mean being scared of God in a way that causes you to withdraw from God or to hide from God. This is not what the Bible is referring to when it says, fear the Lord. The Hebrew word for fear, talking about the fear of the Lord, is the word yair. The word implies reverence and showing God the utmost respect and honor. It's having awe for him. It's holding God in high esteem and obeying his word. Fearing the Lord means walking in humility and reverence towards God. And to honor him above everything 
else. When you understand how incredible and powerful God truly is, there's a holy fear and respect that accompanies that knowledge. Biblical fear of the Lord has its roots in love for him. To love God as our father, our father. Well, that includes fear of him that keeps us humble and causes us to strive to live holy before him. And the fear of God is an ongoing posture of our heart that moves us to continually obey God and to do the right thing even when it seems easier to do something else. This, church family and guests this morning, this was one of the key ingredients of the growth and the influence of the early church. They were an obedient church. And even though they were faced with trials and troubles because they followed God's word, they did not conform to the culture around them. And I say that as clearly and profoundly as I can. The Bible records a testimony statement about the early church. And it's one that is, I think, the foundation of the entire message. So it's going to be important for you to really process this and take this in. It's Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, it had peace. And it was strengthened. Now, just for a moment, I want you to know this, that that area of Samaria and Galilee and Judea, that was a large span of land. That was a large area. There's a lot of people that would have been living in those, in those areas back then. And the Bible clearly states that this was a, 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 a place where many Christians, many churches, many believers were living. And the Bible says this about them in, in verse 31. They were living in the fear of the Lord. Living. They were abiding, living 24-7. This is how they lived. We're talking about the early church. What is a great church? Let's go to the Bible. Let's look at the early church, the first church. Let's establish our opinion, our thoughts of what a great church is by going to this church who was living in the fear of the Lord. Now, wait a minute, I'm ready to hear something negative because we already said most of the time when we hear something about fear, we, we kind of associate it with something negative. But look what the Bible says. They were living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. In fact, not only were they encouraged by the Holy Spirit, but people were, were coming to the church in multitudes. They were increasing in number. All that the church had been through up to this point had brought them to a place where they were being encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increasing in numbers. The result of living in the fear of the Lord was a thriving, healthy, growing church. We cannot underestimate the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in the church. We can't. In fact, they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And we see in the book of Acts alone, there are over 40 references of the Holy Spirit working within the early church. It's fascinating. It's amazing. It's incredible. What I want to do is just point out seven of those areas so I can encourage you. I want to encourage you, Gospelite. 
I want you to see that God's not finished with the church yet. He's still moving. He's still working. And if we can learn to live in the fear of the Lord, we too will be encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increase. Look with me. Number one, the Holy Spirit was spreading the influence of the early church. Spreading its influence in Acts chapter number 10, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down. You know, we speak and sing at Gospel Light, and many, many worship songs are written about the Holy Spirit coming down. We often hear things like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, or pour out your spirit upon us. We want more of you, God. That's what was happening here. The Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message Notice it talks about these believers, these these circumcised believers who had come with Peter. All of them were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Gospelite, I'm convinced too that today we can rejoice in the influence that God is giving us. And we can pray that it would even expand to more. That's why the missions revival was so important. I was so encouraged, and maybe you were too if you were here. And if you weren't, I'll, you're hearing it for the first time. But if you were, you can maybe agree by acknowledging this. Did you hear when Jeremy, Vanuatu, uh, Jeremy Panero from Vanuatu, missionary to Vanuatu, when he said, I just got to be honest, the only thing that kept us on the mission field was the giving of gospel light. There was a time when we would have had to leave the field were it not for you stepping in and giving enough for us to make up for the loss of the support that we were having. Man, that was powerful. And I thought, thank God for the, how how encouraging was that for all of us as a church family to hear that when we give to missions, we're helping to keep people on the field to preach the gospel in the uttermost parts of the world. I'm encouraged by that. And I just want to do this for a moment because I'm so encouraged and nobody else is doing it. Let me just do it. Amen. That's good. Okay. I feel better now. Sometimes you just got to amen yourself. And uh, that's pretty good, actually, 58 jumping on that stage. Anyway, all right. The Holy Spirit was speaking to the church. Acts 13, 2. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to take somebody out of the church, set them apart, and send them somewhere else. A few months ago, the Holy Spirit said to our church, set apart Jeremy and Jillian Horton and about 30 members in your congregation, and let's send them to Sunshine Road to to have another campus over there. And God miraculously put it in the hearts of eight people to sign over the deed to their property, give it to gospel light, and we can send out. So today, our ministry has increased 100 members in the last few months because the Holy Spirit said, set them apart. Set them apart. I want to think of it in light of scripture this morning. Number three, the Holy Spirit was sending out missionaries in the church. Acts 13, 4. And so, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Man, in our missions revival, I was so encouraged when we, 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 we heard Scott testify about Mike Coop, a deacon in our church, a deacon. For 10 years, his kids attended champion. Mike was influential at Gospel Light, but Mike got called to the mission field. He went out to the mission field from our church 
We have been his largest supporting church of all of his churches since that day. And then sitting on the platform was other missionaries that have been influenced by the missionary that we send out that now comes to gospel and asking support as a result of the missionary we sent out several years ago. The Holy Spirit is still sending out missionaries in the church. Amen? Number four, may this encourage you, church. The Holy Spirit was supplying them with power and filling them for service. Look, if you would, please, at Acts 4.31 on the screen. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word boldly. I could not help but to to think as Josh Oglesby got up to give that announcement. And some of you, maybe that was the first time you've met Josh. He's been on our staff now for several months and working as an assistant in the youth department and working in the college as a recruiter and teaching Bible in our Christian school. And, and, and every single day for the past two weeks, Josh has been in Fountain Lake or Hot Springs High or Lake Hamilton or Lakeside or what's the other one? Cutter. All five public schools, Josh has been standing proclaiming the gospel in the FCA of those schools to hundreds of kids. And Glow Up 501 is primarily, though it started four months ago, this will be our third one with 100 kids. The last one had 250. We expect this one maybe to have more than that. Why? Because there's someone who is filled with the Spirit of God who's waking up at 6.30 in the morning to head out to a gymnasium to stand in front of public school kids and share the gospel. Let that encourage you. This is the word of the Lord that when the Holy Spirit, we live in the fear of the Lord, We're encouraged by the Holy Spirit and we increase in number. It happens today. The Holy Spirit was stating, number five, the decisions for the church. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. Several years ago, we had a pastor-led church. Where oftentimes, as I've been pastor here, the lead pastor for the past 31 years, I found myself in a situation where it was difficult to know what the Holy Spirit was saying when it's just you. So seven or eight years ago, we decided to move to an elder-led church where there's a plurality of leadership and where elders can get together and, and we, can, we can pray together and we can begin to hear different opinions and different suggestions and different thoughts and different experiences as all of us get in line with what the Holy Spirit wants. And we can walk out of an office having prayed and worked through something and come to the point where we're making a decision not based on what one man hopes is right, but what seven men are praying and working together to be right. Amen. The Holy Spirit is stating the decisions of the church. Number six, the Holy Spirit was stopping them from going places God didn't want them to go. Acts 16 verse 7 says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit. No, 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 don't don't go there. When they came to Messiah, they tried to go to, to Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. We're not going there. I remember when our church was really, really small and we were in our first building 30 years ago and two doctors started attending our church and offered us $750,000 to buy us the property in the building that was sitting on what the Arvest Bank now on that bypass, that beautiful, big, massive Arvest Bank building. We were given the opportunity not to buy that building because it wasn't there, but there was an old building. The property was valuable and they said, We'll give you the money. Just go where the rich people are. Just, just get out of this 
rotten neighborhood and go where we can have money and you can hobnob with, you know, the high muckety-muck of society. I'm sorry about the noise. I, uh, we can, can you bear through it? Yes. We've got a new, and we're trying to figure it out. Is it bothering you guys to the point where you can't? Okay. I'm just going to keep doing it because I like my hands to move. It's not Zoe's fault. That's what he's trying to say. And I just decided, if it gets worse, I'll go to the hand. I just, we, we just decided, I met with the deacons and they said, preacher, we're not, God's called us to the hood. We're going to stay here. 20, about 15 years later, we had another meeting and things were getting worse in the hood. It was getting difficult and it's much, much better now. But I mean, it was, it was difficult for, for a good season there. Things were really uh, tough in this part of the city. And um, we were talking about buying some property off the bypass, maybe some acres and, you know, a little, have a little oasis in the woods and where the birds fly by and not drive by shootings. And, and it's just, you know, nice and sweet. And, and, but we unanimously voted after praying about that. No, we're going to stay right here. And it was then that God gave us this amazing facility across the street. Amen. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, no, he's working in the church when he says no to protect us. And then we find finally the Holy Spirit was selecting the leaders of the church. Acts 20, 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The Holy Spirit appointing leaders in the church. Here's what I'm saying, church family. The Holy Spirit was pleased with the early church. We can learn from them. When the Holy Spirit is working in our midst, it encourages the church. This is an example of a healthy, thriving church. And the driving force behind the Holy Spirit working was this. They were living in the fear of the Lord. However, full disclosure, there was a really dark day in the early church. Like, really dark like like we're not going to skip it it's in Acts chapter 5 in fact it was so dark instead of being filled with the spirit there was a couple of people whose hearts were filled with Satan to lie to the Holy Spirit Acts chapter 5 look at it beginning in verse 1 but a man named Ananias and his with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property In a little bit, I'll I'll give you more context, but I think this is good just for us to read it. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the proceeds of the land. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to me. You've lied to God. When Ananias heard this rebuke from the preacher, the fallout was literally deadly. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. As a result of that, a great fear came on all who heard. No wonder. 
man, I'm definitely wanting to give my tie this Sunday. I mean, after this, I'm the young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out and buried him. I mean, the pallbearers were right there to take care of this matter. Now, notice what happened when great fear came on all who heard. Verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in. Men, can you relate to that? She's late. At least she came. Not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her. Did you sell the land for this price? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously they had conspired together about this whole scheme. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out. Instantly, she drops dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found, I'll switch, Joe. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Just an interesting note that the spirit, or that Peter told Ananias, you lied to God. But what he told Sapphira was, you tested God. We test God when we think we know what's best, and he doesn't know what's best. Then the result of all of this is the next verse, verse 11. Then great Fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. Wow. What did a great fear do for the early church? That's the question. What did it do? What did a great fear of God do for them? And what, gospelite, can a great fear of the Lord do for us? Three things. Number one, are you ready? And I'll finish. And Please listen. Not as easy to preach the fear of the Lord as it was to preach great power, great grace, and great joy. But if you're in, I'm in. Number one, a great fear causes a cleansing of the saints. A cleansing of the saints. You see, the story of Ananias and Sapphira is a tough text to preach. <clears throat> and what makes this text hard to explain <clears throat> is God killed them. Now, you've got to understand just a little more context here. So what had happened was in Acts chapter 4, they had decided they're going to bring all of their possessions and put them together. And this was something that it was up to the people to do. It, they weren't forced to do it. They, had their, they could make their own decision, much like we do today in, in our New Testament church. But, but the people decided to do it. There was a unanimous vote to bring all of this together. And so they did that. They wanted an economic equilibrium across the board so that they had the same things and they shared the same resources so they could help people when they were in need. So when they were making their reports and figuring things out, like maybe sometimes we do after a missions revival or people make a commitment and you kind of, okay, where do we stand? What's going on? How do we process all this? They were making all of these reports and Ananias and Sapphira had this little scheme going on. And what they decided is, we're, we're going to say we sold it all. We're going to say this is what we've got to give, but we're going to hide part of the money. Are you with me? We're going we're to hold back some of what we committed. Their plan was to say that it was all, but it really wasn't all. Maybe they were thinking of having a contingency plan just in case these guys had gone off their rocker and this was a stupid idea and everything was going to mess up. 
at least they would have some money so they could be okay while everybody else struggled. Ananias and Sapphira sinned, not by holding back, but by lying. What makes this text hard to explain is that a result, as a result of Ananias and Sapphira lying because they wanted to impress the church, that God actually killed them. I was talking to a friend this week about this, and he said, here's my thought, and I, I tend to agree with him as we study this further. He said, you know, preacher, if you think about it, this was the early church. This was Acts chapter 5. I mean, God was moving and working, and the Holy Spirit was doing amazing things. They were living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increasing in number. And it's as if God says to two people who tried to step in and mess that up, I'm going to make a statement to the, to the church for the, until I come back. This is important to me. I just want to make sure everybody knows, starting with the book of Acts chapter 5, that this is important to me. I think it was the grace of God that allowed these two, these two people to die. I think it's for this morning's message. I think it could have been God's grace to the church, to this church, to say, is God still serious about the purpose and working of his church? I think the answer is yes. Because through this tragic event, the church displayed another powerful attitude. Through this event, the church displayed the attitude of a great fear of God. The story of Ananias and Sapphira reminds us that it simply doesn't pay to disobey. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Church family, we need great fear to consider the consequences of sin. Why do people turn away from God? Well, the Bible tells us why. It's in Romans chapter number 3, verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All are alike and have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They're, they deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. And here's why. Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. We are living in these days but God, aren't you glad God judges out of love rather than cruelty? Amen? God does. He judges out of love rather than cruelty. He corrects us to bring us back to him and to encourage others not to stray from God. God desires to bring us back to a great fear of himself. I love this passage. It's so important. Publicly rebuke, 1 Peter 5, those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I remember when I was uh, a younger pastor and Dave and Sonia Chittam had three kids in our, in, our, in our church and school. They were charter members. They had Luke and they had Lydia and they had a girl named Holland. By the way, all three of those kids are living for God, serving God, loving God, and amazing children. But of all the kids, Holland was the piece of work. She was the one that, I'll never forget the day in the second year of our church, where her teacher came to me in our little small Christian school and said, Preacher, we've got to do something about Holland. I said, she's only like in the fifth grade. Yeah, but she is a handful. I mean, she smarts off. She's, 
She gets the class going. She provokes people to do wrong. She just comes in. So I called Sonia Dave. I said, Sonia Dave, here's my plan. And this is what I told him. I asked the teacher, I said, does this happen every day? It happens every day. I said, does it happen like every other? No, every day. I mean, is, is there a chance it won't happen? No, it, it happens every day. She walks into class and she starts cutting up. I said, Dave, Sonia, I think I'm going to hide in the closet. I'm going to get a Bible and some coffee. I'll get there at 730. I'll have my devotions and I'll just sit there until Holland gets there. Dave and Sonia said, have at it, preacher. We need all the help we can get. I got there early that morning. The teacher knew I was going to be there, but she was the only one. I sat in the closet with my cup of coffee and my Bible like I have now for all these years and had my devotions until I heard the first kid come in, and lo and behold, it was Holland. And was that teacher ever right? She came in, smart aleck, talking above the class, getting everybody riled up. Teacher corrects her a couple times. I'll let this go on for 60 seconds. It's out of control. And finally, I busted out of that office. I mean, out of that closet. As soon as I came out of that closet, I mean, everybody in the closet, went, oh, it's the preacher. And I pointed at Holland, and I said, Holland, shit, I mean, you listen to me. Your parents know I'm doing this. But I, I, I heard what you said. I heard how you disrespected your teacher and how you disrespected your class. And I want you to know that if you ever do this again, I said, you will be disciplined. And I went on and on and for about 30 seconds or so. And I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. I said to the teacher a month later, how are things going? She said, Every day they go to that closet and check and see if you're there. <laughs> Every single day. It's amazing what a little public rebuke will do and bring fear to all the rest. A little more sobering story. About 13 years ago, my, my oldest son had a, a, a rebellious sabbatical from God and his family. And strayed from God, pretty hardcore. To the point where we could not quite figure out what was going on, but we knew he was up to some really bad things. And my wife and I prayed and prayed. Had a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of nights where we cried so many tears that you you had to change the sheets. And we kept praying and God, show us. Finally, one day, somebody knocked him off the store and said, Pastor, I've got some really bad news, but we have evidence your son's been involved in some of these things and da-da-da-da-da. And... uh, and, and really, he needs to be expelled. But, but, and they did it out of love for me. They said, but we know you're the pastor. And if you feel like we should maybe just, you know, we, not many people know. We can, we can kind of keep this quiet and, and potentially kind of work through this in another way. I said, did you just tell me he's, what he's done, he should be expelled? Well, that's what, that's what we normally would do. I said, well, then expel him. It's hard to do, but it was the right thing to do. My son was expelled as a freshman from Champion Christian College. To be honest, it was difficult, but it not only changed his life, I, I, I feel confident in saying that one of the most God-fearing young men I know who's recklessly abandoned to serving Jesus is my firstborn son, Matthias. But I can tell you that there was a moment in his life where as a result of public rebuke, not only did it change his life, but it stirred up an awareness, one that I've been able to use on a number of occasions to help others to understand the importance so that the rest will have some fear. What made the church great was they had a great fear of God. What made the church great was that they were committed to holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 
In fact, the fear of God should keep you from sin. And I love what Exodus 20, 20 says. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. You don't start to live a holy life and depart from evil until you start to live in the fear of the Lord. A great fear of the Lord causes a cleansing of the saints. Number two, a great fear of God creates a conviction of sin. Following the news of what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and maybe we're experiencing that in our congregation this morning, some conviction. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. If you're convicted today of your sin, that is a good thing. That's the love of God. That's the grace of God. He's calling you to himself. He's drawing you to himself in his mercy. He wants you to know he died for that sin that you're committing. He, in the conviction of your sin can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And yet, we see here that Ananias and Sapphira, there was a great fear of God that created conviction among the church. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who had heard these things. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. This is incredible. Verse 11, great fear comes upon the church. Verse 14, believers were added in increasing numbers. The church was influencing those around them, and the church was becoming light in a dark world. By the way, church family, that's what you and I are supposed to do when we leave this building. Become a light to a dark city. Acts 19, 17 says, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid And the name of the Lord was held in high esteem. When the church is living in the fear of the Lord, it affects people around them. It changes things. And if the world around us is ever going to fear the Lord and turn to Him, then the church must be a place where great fear, where there's great fear and and a place of holiness and light. Because truly, revival, personal revival, should result in in a death. Not a physical death. But I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And yet today there seems to be so many who believe in God. I believe in God but they don't fear him. It is said that three out of four Americans believe in God. Three out of four. But if you look at all the ways that people actually live, three out of four people don't actually fear the Lord. And as we talk about the fear of God, I think it's important that we just take about two or three minutes to understand the need for balance. That God is a God of love and God is a God of holiness. Sometimes I think in the church the pendulum swings so far sometimes, and I've been in a church where the pendulum kind of swung and got stuck on hellfire and brimstone every Sunday. In fact, it was almost as if that's kind of how we wanted the DNA of the church to be. We wanted everybody to know, hey, you come here, and we actually, I mean, it was like the motto, this is a hellfire and brimstone church. 
And it was like we, we were prideful in that. Now, now, is there a hell? Yes. Is there fire and brimstone? Yes. For some, the pendulum has swung the, the other way. God is love, and God is kindness, and God is nice. And so, guess what? You can just do whatever you want to do, and God will forgive you. And as that pendulum swings, we must understand that the justice of God is true, but it's incomplete. And the grace of God is true, but it's incomplete. When Jesus came, he was full of grace and full of truth. And as we talk about this, we need to be very careful not to move towards legalism where we have to do this or God won't love us. But we also need to be careful that, that, that we don't move into what is known as license where, where God is love and you can just do whatever you want to do. We need to understand his love and yet have a very reverent attitude towards God. Adrian Rogers said that love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth without love is brutality. There's a balance. And that's my desire for this morning's message. And I think a proper balance requires this formula. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. To fear God is not a bad thing. It can be a righteous thing filled with blessing and filled with promise. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs and you read the book of Psalms over and over and over again, we see promises of the fear of the Lord, how it leads to blessing and and promise. Let me give you just a few. Number one, the fear of the Lord produces knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Number two, the fear of the Lord promises wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts by loving and respecting God. Number three, it will prolong life. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Uh, Then it, it, it also precedes a full life. I love this one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's like a waterfall. When you fear God, it's like turning someone away from the snares of death. In other words, instead of living your life and and having destruction at every turn, you actually are blessed. I mean, you're encouraged. When you fear the Lord, it's a fountain of life. I love that. Number five, it will protect and deliver you from trouble. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Number six, it provides care from God. Proverbs 33, but look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love. It positions you well in life. Proverbs 22, verse 4, humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. When I read these things, this is my opinion of the fear of the Lord. We should not run from it. We should run to it. A great fear creates a conviction of sin. And the greatest evidence, the greatest evidence of the fear of God is complete obedience to God. And we see in Scripture the early church lived in the fear of the Lord and it created a conviction of sin which caused the church to repent and turn from their sin. And my, oh my, how the church needs to repent today. Turn from our sin so that God can heal our land. Because when we're no longer convicted of sin to the point where we will 
not repent and turn from it, then let me tell you something. There's not a great fear. There's just a great facade. And and, and listen, church, I don't think a great church can be a phony church. I don't think a great church can be a fake church. A facade is a deceptive outward appearance where everything on the outside looks good, where we we look like we're, you know, we're, 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 we're just perfect. But is that the truth? A facade is, I'll serve you, God. I'll serve you. But I'm still going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. A facade says, I believe in you. I believe in you, God. I'm just not going to stop watching my pornography. I mean, I believe in you, but it's just kind of how I deal with the issues, you know? I mean, you know, right, God? You understand. A facade says, I'll follow you, Lord. I'm just not going to tithe. I mean, I've worked too hard for my money, God. A facade says, I'll say the whole prayer thing, and, and, and I'll go to church, and, but, but surrender my whole life to you, God? Look, I've only got one life to live, God, and I'm not about to give, give it all to you. In other words, I believe in God, but I don't fear God. Again, I don't want the pendulum to swing to legalism, but I don't want it to swing to license either. However, because of the grace of Jesus, my only reasonable response is to love him as a heavenly father and respect him as the Lord of creation. And therefore, I fear him. And because I fear him, I desire to obey him. Number one, a great fear causes a cleansing of the saints. Number two, a great fear causes and creates a conviction of sin. And finally, in closing, a great fear cements a confidence to speak up for God. When persecution came upon the church, and persecution did, they spoke up for the Lord even more. And they believed it was more important to obey God than to obey man. And by the way, let me just say this about us Americans. That day is coming for us soon. In many ways, it's already upon us. But it's coming where we all have to make a a decision. Will I obey God or will I obey man? Look at it in the early church, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse number 27. And they brought them in and had them stand before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest asked, did we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. They no longer feared what man could do to them. They became confident witnesses for Christ. Listen to Acts chapter 5 as it goes on and Peter says, This is strong. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you had murdered and hung on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Wow. We're learning from the early church. That great fear gave them great confidence. They knew there was nobody greater than God, not even the president of the United States of America. No law, no government is greater than God. Matthew 10, 28 said, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. They had a confidence, a strong confidence because of their fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 26 says, The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has what? 
Nobody feels like talking. I get it. Strong confidence. Strong confidence. This is what the fear of the Lord does. You say, Pastor, you seem to be preaching with a confidence this morning. Yes. I want to live in the fear of the Lord. It's the only way to preach the truth. It's the only way to tell the truth. It's the only way to preach the whole Bible. It's the only way not to tiptoe through the tulips. It's the only way not to skip things that are uncomfortable. It's the only way. Without the fear of the Lord, I'm just a pansy. I'm a sissy. I don't tell you the truth. I just tell you what you want to hear. But when I live in the fear of the Lord, honestly, I say this respectfully, I don't fear man, I fear God. We all need to feel this way to be a great church. Next. We must remember there are basically two types of fear. There's, there's holy fear. That's a fear of God. Then there's harmful fear. That's a fear of man. So the question is this. Who do you fear the most? God or man? That's the question. Will the fear of, when the fear of man is controlling you, you're often ashamed and I'm ashamed to speak up for God as a follower of Jesus? Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Notice it says that the snare doesn't kill you, it just stops you. And that's what the devil wants to do, stop us. Stop us from being a mighty army of God's people, amen, who cover this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we're more concerned about what God says than what people think around us. When we're even willing to risk suffering or rejection or shame, if it comes because of our love for the Lord, so be it. Sometimes we don't stand up for the Lord because we're afraid of losing our reputation. Or maybe we're afraid of losing a relationship. Or maybe we're afraid of losing our resources. We begin to allow money to rule our lives and fear of losing money more than a fear of God. But remember, just as God was their helper in Acts, He is our helper too. Hebrews chapter 13 says in verse 5, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. The early church feared man so little because they feared God so much. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? In just a moment, I want us to pray together. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. And I want everybody just with heads bowed and eyes closed to contemplate this. It could be different for all of us. But in what area of your life would you say you're not fearing God? And as a result of that, you're not obeying God. And then my follow-up question is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Maybe someone here is living with some unconfessed sin. It continues to haunt you and you just can't seem to overcome it. But you're going to face it today. Maybe it's someone who's living with a boyfriend or living with a girlfriend and you're not married. 
The Bible clearly says that's, that's, that's wrong. And today you're going to do something about that. You're going to live in the fear of God. And it's going to move you to obedience. Maybe you're saying today, God, I love you. And because I respect you and fear you, I'm going to obey you. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. And yet maybe there's somebody here today on a more positive note. God's been calling you to do something for him. And you've been afraid. You've been disobedient. Maybe for some, God is calling you to start a business. You've just been avoiding it, but today you're going to step into that calling. Maybe for someone here today, it's I'm going to start tithing. I've just been holding back, but I'm going to start today to be obedient. Maybe for someone else, it's I'm going to go to college. I I, I just know God wants me to do it. I've just been putting it off. For others, it may be I'm going to start going to a small group. I'm going to get in a lighthouse. I'm going to be accountable to other followers in the church. Maybe someone is just going to say, I'm going to get involved in the church. I'm not sure where you're at. But all of us probably have something today that we could confess and turn from. And live in the fear of the Lord. Would you stand with me today? And as we stand... Would you join me in this prayer? It's a corporate prayer. It's on the screen. Let's pray this together, shall we? I thank you, God, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I thank you, God, that the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, and it takes us away from the snares of this world. God, I thank you that the fear of the Lord brings blessings that only you can bring. God, because of who you are, I want to love you and I will respect you. And because I love you and respect you, God, in reverent awe, I truly do fear you. And because I fear you, God, I want to obey you. Not because I have to, but because I get to. You are that good. You are worthy of a totally committed life that I would give you all of who I am because you gave me all of who you are through your son, Jesus. And it's the name of Jesus I pray this. Amen. Let's remain standing. And if you need prayer or someone to pray with, we'll be here for you. God bless you.